So, hello and welcome to Discuss Podcast Episode 2, where I take my good friend and talented comedian John Matthews on a jolly jaunt down to Brighton to catch the comedian Stuart Lee. On the trip we got lost and we discussed many things like how he got into comedy, um, what jokes he will tell, what jokes he won't tell, uh, and we just discussed life and all manner of things about the human condition. Um, There is a video version of this available that's on YouTube. Um, This is obviously the audio-only version. I don't have to tell you that because you're the one listening to it. Um, You can get John's webpage, which is www.johnmatthewscomedy.webeden.co.uk. So thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoy and there'll be plenty more coming up soon. Bye. So I said to this bloke, I said, me and some friends have just been talking about you. He said, you disgust me. I said, yes, ma'am. side and just see how it looks yep okay yeah okay could you imagine like if we sort of got there you know like had this amazing earth earth moving you know changing conversation <laughs> and, and yeah it was all and firm. it had been sort of recording like either yours or my crotch <laughs> <laughs> kind of would take away a little bit wouldn't yeah it? well certainly if it was mine it would oh gosh yeah going Excellent. Fuck yeah. <laughs> it's all like a bit of an experiment, this, you know, like, uh, I think kind of why I thought it would be cool, like, is because um, uh, when I went and did one with my mum, on the way over, like, um, we actually probably had almost, you know, I wouldn't say like a better conversation, but but it was like really... You, you know, interesting, like an in-depth, so I thought, well, actually, why not do this? Yeah, a friend of mine's a, a minister, um, or used to be a minister, and yeah. he had, like, conversations in, um, like, he was on the radio, he was sometimes on panels on the radio, yeah. and he, um, it was quite a regular thing at one stage, but he, I remember, said he was in the, they were in the green room once, like with the other panelists, and they actually yeah. had a far better conversation in the yeah, no, room. Yeah. Far more interesting, would be much better to listen to. Yeah. And after that, they all agreed not to like arrive early. They'd all get there like straight away, so they could li- literally. And then, like, if they wanted to just chat to do it afterwards, yeah. so they kind of stopped coming early. Yeah, because that's my whole kind of like thing with this. Really, is um, yeah, like it's like not wanting. Um, just to have kind of talking points or sort of pre-arranged things, you know, because every interview that, that I've ever done, like as far as, I don't know, bands or like music, you know, like you're you're trying to talk about something or you're trying to like promote something. Yeah. And it's just nice, I think, just, you know, for like two, two or three or whatever people, like just to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah definitely. And also, you know, for anybody watching this, you had to kind of point out all of my own traffic violations. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you there'll be someone that'll be like, you shouldn't have undertaken that or, or, or something. Probably. I mean, I won't undertake. 
I'll tell you what I did notice, sir, from watching the one with my mum. Right. Is I say the phrase, you know, so much. It was so interesting watching it back. I was like, fucking hell, I say this so much. It's, it's really funny because with the comedy, I like write phrases like that in sometimes. Yeah. Like there are places where I write in, you know, um, as in, a, in order to kind of like add to the building and the rhythm of like a joke. Yeah. And so like... So either I'm a genius, I don't have to write them in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's like very intentional. I yeah. don't know if I do it. I know I say like too much, and that's something I really. It's quite a Hampshire thing, they reckon, isn't it? Yeah. I think saying like. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know, like, if we've um, spoken about this, but like, I do have a stammer, um, and I had it since I was a kid, mm. and it's one of those things where I think um, over time I've just learned. Um, it's almost kind of hitting the ground running. Sometimes if you stop talking like you're more inclined to have a blockage. So saying things like you know, or like, or um, it's almost kind of like warming yourself up. You know, you sort of catch yourself by surprise. I know that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, you keep, it yeah. keeps the flow going, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, yes, when I watched it back, it was almost like every single sentence had it about three times. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'm gonna really try not to, yeah. So if there's loads of pauses, um, maybe you could fill it in with a couple of you knows. You know. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll keep that in mind. Because it's fascinating though uh, to watch yourself and uh, you might find this afterwards. Like I think it's something that everybody like should do um, because you, you know, you do actually like see yourself and I think kind of how uh, we often don't do it. Like it's like a subjective experience, you know, when we're living it. Yeah. We don't actually like see ourselves and, and it's just fascinating uh, to watch just things you say and things you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like video record a lot of my uh, comedy yeah, to watch yeah, back. Right, yeah. And um, but even when I don't do that, like ninety-nine percent of the time, I, I have like I audio really? record it on my phone. Yeah. And I like, put it like to the side of the stage, but just so I can just listen to it back, even if it's just once. Yeah. To kind of think, oh, that was oh, this was good. This this didn't work so well. Do you ever listen to it? And think, ah, shit. <laughs> um. Not really. Yeah. I mean, like I think. I write stuff that I like, and just sometimes other people don't. So yeah. sometimes I write I something that doesn't work. Music. Yeah. Yeah, because actually it was really interesting, is I think there's loads of different forms of, like, art and artist, you know, and, like, entertainer. Um, and I was having a conversation, um, I can't remember who it was now, it was a friend of mine that was also doing comedy, and he was saying, um, that the audience decides for him what's funny. So he'll sort of try a few things a couple of times, you know. Yeah. If it doesn't get a laugh, he'll just throw it away. Yeah. And I've had other friends, though, that actually thrive on that kind of conflict almost, you know, where they kind of keep it going if they think it's good. I know one night, I can't remember what the material I was doing was, but it was something that was rather strange. And um, a friend of mine who was sort of at the back of the room, he saw that it, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't take. Yeah. It was a very long-winded, kind of surreal, repetitive joke. Yeah. And he said that he saw the look that crossed my face when I realised it wasn't working. <laughs> but he saw that was a look of like sheer enjoyment. And it yeah. was like, that I was kind of like, I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't really going well. It made it funnier for me. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So kind of you're in that yeah. like latter camp. I think Grant's in there as well when I've watched Grant. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think Grant really almost thrives on a room that doesn't quite like get him, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe 
you know, you have that similar thing. I mean, I kind of do and I don't. Um, when I do the sofa things, yeah, so I do the emceeing of them, right? Um, you know, so so I sort of introduce. Sorry, I just said you know. I introduce <laughs> no, I stuff. Didn't notice. In this kind of irreverent fashion. Yeah. Um, and there's some I've done it at where like it really worked and people really find it funny. And I've done it. Um, I think there was one gig. It was weirdly uh, Grant's at as well. Uh, and it was it, like it was such like a po-faced audience. It just didn't work. And I was kind of thinking, oh fuck, you know, this is really bad. And I and I'm kind of not one of those people like who thrives on the yeah. You know, on that, I kind of like it. You know, when everyone's laughing, because it feels like a sort of a community thing. You know. Yeah, but, definitely. But then Grant went and he did his set, and the same thing happened. And as weird as it sounds, I was almost relieved because I was like, okay, well, you know, if it's happening to him, you know, um, <laughs> this is sort of what he does. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think like it, it varies. I mean, I've got I've got this video of myself that I kind of I'm using a lot. I'm sending to people to try and get gigs, and it's of a show in Beijing. It was like we did a British comedy night, and I yeah. was the first act on. So there was like the host, and then it was me, and um, there were like microphone problems. So I, I've kind of like abandoned the microphone. I'm just sort of shouting. <laughs> everything yeah. I said was getting like a laugh. Yeah. To the extent that I was having to like stop because I had to like keep stopping to let the audience laugh. Wow. And it was yeah. stuff that I completely wasn't expecting. Yeah. And sometimes like That's the audience. Nice though, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Sometimes you get those nights like those times where everything hits just, and just clicks. Yeah. It, even like those little kind of throwaway half jokes that you just put in and no one normally laughs at, but they're just like in between. And we're getting like a, a, a hit and it was like, whoa, this is this is insane. This yeah. is crazy. Yeah. That's the drug, though, isn't it? I think. Yeah. You know, when you have those sort sort of reactions. Yeah. I mean, it sort of makes me think of um, when I was doing classes. You know, when I was teaching kids. Okay. And actually, um, why I don't do like classes anymore, I think, is because uh, you know the kid that sort of stands up and sort of like challenges you. Yeah. Okay? Uh, I was kind of on their side. So when they were sort of challenging me. You know, it was almost like I was like, yeah, you know, like taking down shit actually, it's me. No, 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 don't take me down. And, um, you know, so every now and again, kind of one of our other kids would stand up and I'd sort of try to kind of engage with them, you know, with like a, what I thought was a really kind of funny sort of, you know, I don't know, well, well thought out joke. And then one of our other kids would just go for like, bum, or something like, and all the other kids would just kind of roll around laughing. <laughs> so once I realised that, you know, like it did make it a bit easier, like, and then you just, you know, you'd say bum. Actually, I wouldn't say bum, but you know, just sort of something. Yeah, you know, not not thought out. I do remember, like, I don't know if I if I've um, told told you this story, yet, but one of the kids once, like, uh, it was someone who I had 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 for um, you know um, um, for private like one on one um, drum lessons. Okay, uh, and he was saying to me, he said, how. How come you're much stricter in the classes, Mr. Ford, now that you are in uh, the one-on-one um, drum lessons? And I kind of went off on one for about like 10 minutes about, you know, how I noticed that I had to be. Um, and I really like cared about them. I kind of wanted them to get the most out of the lessons. And I realised if I wasn't strict, uh, yeah. they wouldn't. And then like uh, this kid just sort of like stood up at the end of it, right? And he put his hand on his heart and he went, great speech, sir. Really got me. <laughs> <laughs> and he played it so well, yeah, that... You know, to this day, like, I don't know if he was being sarcastic or not. 
Like, I still don't know. <laughs> I just hope he was because it was just brilliant. Yeah, so that's almost um, when I made the decision. Like, I couldn't really like do that job anymore because I was sort of on their side. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. when I was at uni, we talked a lot about like this idea that you're either an agent of social change or you're an agent of social control. Yeah. Like, as someone who as someone who works with with, with children. Yeah. Like you are either like yeah you're either an agent for, for social change or an agent for social control I mean that's a great way of looking at it and there's kind of like this idea that there's like the revolutionary spirit amongst young people yeah and that actually like what society does so much is try to quash that yeah kind of like we talk about like teenage rebellion as if it's a bad thing and actually like maybe actually society is supposed to be renewed every 15 to 20 years yeah. which is why every generation goes through the stage and yeah, man, totally. it's sort of like the social change that happened in sort of the 60s and 70s as a result of like teenage rebellion yeah and um you know as a result we had like changing music changing yeah. kind of um values towards like sex and family but also like you know um the women's place in society shifted as a result of that kind of like teenage rebellion movement yeah um and i think actually like yeah society's always trying to qu quash quash that teenage rebellion yeah, and actually what we need to do is embrace it and, and and be like okay well okay teenagers right how how are we going to make society better yeah, man, totally over to sort you. Of like channel it but yeah because that's why i think i found it hard is i was almost told to you know to sort of quash that but not really you know i didn't ever have someone saying to me right you know you have to quash that but that's the feeling you get, you know, that as a teacher working in a school, um, when it's classes especially, like I think it's different. I mean, um, why I like doing the um, small groups is because you can be more yourself and you can sort of like tackle some of that stuff. And I have to say from a yeah. teacher's point of view, you know, it is really draining. Um, so it's a dichotomy, I suppose, yeah, because it's really draining to kind of constantly be sort of taking them on and going, okay, well, I take that point, you know, but at the same time, you still have to do your times tables. Okay, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's so much pressure on teenage, yeah. on teachers, sorry. There's such like a list of things they've got to achieve all the time yeah. in terms of curriculum and yeah. targets and, and stuff. And all that stuff with like SATs. I mean, I don't know any teachers that think that this kind of testing is a good thing. No. You know, it's universally hated. Yeah. Uh, so sort of like Christ knows where that's all coming from. Um, yeah, um, but I mean, when I worked with um, teenagers especially, I mean, there was one time um, when I was working in a group of... Uh, I think it was like year 11s and it was a particularly challenging class year but actually like it was one of my favourite classes and I really liked them like and I still see some of these guys out and about now uh, and uh, the teacher like and this I just um, you know it was loads of friction and they just did not gel okay? yeah. um, and it was almost like every single lesson I used to sit thinking just pick your battles with them yeah you know, like that are they not going to respond to this and we were doing like Romeo and Juliet as well and they sort of liked kind of uh, the story of it, but just sort of didn't didn't kind of engage, you know, of like doing the work. And it was almost, I wouldn't say kind of above them, but I mean, if you're already kind of like struggling uh, with, you know, with uh, more kind of basic communication, you know, like it's then hard, you know, to articulate sort of, you know, I know kind of metaphors and um, similes and stuff. But, you know, anyway, it's somehow kind of how we managed uh, to rub along. But there uh, was one day when, uh, it was like towards the end and they had to complete it was like four or five pieces of um, coursework or else they wouldn't be entered like for their exam right and there was a you know, there was a handful of them I just I just hadn't hadn't finished their work so I just took them down out to the English office right I opened up kind of 
the um, cabinet, like I made them all like tea and coffee, opened up the biscuits and I said, right, you know, it's ridiculous if you don't finish this yet. So we've got like two hours in here. I'll make you drinks when you're finished. You know, let's just try and finish these. And then, um, you know, um, you've done sort of the best that you can do like at this point uh, for your um, GCSEs. And I'm sure like if my, um, my boss, you know, had kind of like known about that, you know, like I'd have been, I don't know, like told off or mm. fired or, or which like is something. which is insane. Because there's a raw honesty about that, and I think that's sometimes it. And like when I was working in a pupil referral unit in Devon a few years ago, and like these are kids who, who'd been like excluded from school, and we were trying to get them through like courses, or we were trying to like reintegrate them to school or whatever. Yeah. But actually, like I think for a lot of them, it was you know the, the system that we had in place. It wasn't working. It wasn't. They weren't interested in going back to school. They they didn't care. Yeah. And it was only when you were like kind of brutally honest with them and you turned around like, actually, you know, if you want to finish this course, if you want to complete this English course, then you need, for example, you need to do this piece of work and we need to get this done like so that you can finish this. Yeah. Like it was that kind of like raw, raw, raw honesty of the situation that they like responded really well to. Yeah. Instead of like almost, instead of doing this like merry dance about the whole thing. Yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah. It was like turning around and going, actually, we really want you to get, you know, and, and the time and effort we channeled into going, well, let's get this thing done now. Yeah. Let's like, get this party started. Yeah. Did it work? Most of the time, I think, I think there was, I mean, in terms of like getting work done, I think when it came down to like, we are going to sit down and we're going to get this work done, like however long it takes, because this is important. Yeah. I think there was sort of an honesty in the situation that the young people appreciated and they realised that, that not just that it was important but that we were we disrupted the routine we yeah. broke the norm but that's how important it was and I think for them school was so much about <coughs> routine and like you, like you do it for the sake of it yeah I know absolutely like, you and do like, it because you, you have to don't you also feel as well that there's this weird I mean I remember watching I think it was like a Louis Theroux documentary and um, he was talking about this sort of like cat and mouse thing that with, with the police and the gangs and how it's been going on for like 50 years and it just never changed and it almost felt like a game just kept on being played. Yeah. And I, um, and I do feel that kind of a little bit with schools. Um, and that's why, you know, we're saying about the whole thing about kind of like picking your battles and stuff, right? Because, you know, it almost feels like it's sort of like kids' job to rebel it's like teacher's job to sort of like tell them not to. Yeah. And this whole thing kind of like goes on. And actually all you've got to do is just slightly disrupt that. And it's almost like everyone kind of looks up and goes, hey, what? Yeah. Then you have their attention. Like, and it seems weird to me that more people don't like, do that. It's like, there's this idea of like a psychological contract. And like that you, so like, for example, when kids in, in school or like an adult in, in prison say, you know, they do certain things. They go to a certain place at a certain time because they have to. Yeah. Like, you, you just have to. You have to do this and you have to do that. And then there's kind of like the contract where you do things in exchange for. So you go to work in exchange for money. Or yeah. you, you go to the job centre in exchange for your benefits. And like, it, it's like that there's a sort of a balance or a perceived balance. Yeah. You do this work, you get this pay. Um, and then, but like, then there's this kind of idea that, of voluntary participation, that's something you do because like, you want to, and yeah, you might get paid, and you might get a benefit back towards you of some kind, yeah. but actually your motivation 
more comes from the facts that you want to and that's like the healthiest place to be yeah it's not oh it's not I'm doing this work because if I don't um, I'll I'll get in trouble it's not oh I'm doing this work because I have to or I'm not doing this work because I'm getting paid I'm doing this work because like principally I want to principally yeah. because yeah, in, in this very very moment getting this done I'd rather do that than not yeah. And I think it's getting like kids to that place. And that is, that, is, that is hard. Yeah, it is hard. And also I think yeah, what's weird about it is sometimes it's not the kids that you think are going to be the unchallenged. Like sometimes maybe kids from like, um, from a worse background or maybe got, you know, really shit kind of life things going on. Yeah. Often are quite um, thankful of school. And they're often quite um, thankful of kind of, I uh, wouldn't say rules, but some form of like structure. Um, and it's like Joe's often, I'm saying this to me like, uh, with kids especially, where they almost kind of crave that kind of structure. Um, and it's a bit like animals, where they will kind of push and push until they know where the line is. And actually like a lot of these kids um, don't ever have, have that line. And it's really good for them kind of uh, to learn, you know, kind of what's acceptable, like, and what isn't. Yeah. Um, um, some of the hardest kids, I think, kind of uh, to reach are the ones that, um, I mean, I'm kind of struggling to find the right word yet because I don't like using kind of class, but maybe more sort of like middle class where they've kind of got kind of a lot of stuff, but they think, oh, well, I don't need to bother with this. And it's quite hard yeah, like, to engage those kids. You know, so I don't mean it as a class thing, but just people with that kind of mindset um, where maybe like families, you know, kind of got like a lot of stuff anyway yeah they don't really have to try and they're not kind of like told off like in my experience like those are the hardest kids like, to get on side I think yeah definitely because it's almost a bit like okay well why why should I bother you know I don't need to do all of this and um, what's really sad is they find out that they do need to bother but like, just later on in life yeah and they, they do, I think like, they, they sort of say that like education is wasted on the young and yeah. like the sort of absurdity of, of an education system where you start educating people in sort of one format or another at such a young age when they're not motivated yeah. is, is Because obviously... I didn't get it. When I was a kid, you know what I mean? Because um, I think I'm a slow learner maybe, right? But um, I mean, I'm only really starting to like really um, value learning about stuff. I mean, I've really started kind of finding a passion for things like science, which I didn't ever think I would. Uh, and just kind of finding out about, um, you know, what's going on like in the universe. And I mean, not to the point of, you know, I mean, like I know I'm not going to be like a master of it, but just sort of trying to find out more, like an inquiring mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think if all of us like did that, and we all, you know, we all realised we weren't fully formed and we're always moving forward. Like, I think that we'd have a much like he healthier populace. But a lot of people are like, okay, well, you know, from what, say like five until 18, um, 21, uh, if you go out to uni, sort of, sort, sort of those are your learning years, then you're formed and then you just kind of go out, you know, and kind of, I don't know, like do your job. And actually it's mental. Like, I think I've probably learned more about stuff in the last, like 10 years yet because I've been more kind of yeah. susceptible to it I, I would definitely agree with that I mean I've I've 
I mean, I, I've always been really interested in philosophy yeah. and like psychology as well. Like a, a last like, I did an NL, I got sent on a, an NLP course, like neuro linguistic programming. Like this idea that like the way we speak affects the way we think. Yeah. Or, or kind of like the way people speak to us affects the way we think. And um, what do you mean? No, sorry. <laughs> I went on this like course, like, like one day die. course, and then like I just I've done a lot, face the wrong way. I've done a lot of um, reading since then and uh, on the subject and kind of like how you know like how our language like changes our ability to build rapport or yeah. like communicate ideas and the fact that like when you tell someone something you, you can be convinced you're explaining yourself in such a crystal clear way yeah. but for them it, it, it's your words are meaningless yeah I and find that yeah, yeah that building you, of bridges yeah. I was students sometimes yeah there's been a few times and I've said something um, and um I'm much better at it now, but like I used to kind of explain stuff and there was this one kid that after about like 10 minutes, he asked me how to help him have a bit of homework he had here, so it wasn't even a music thing. When I finished, like he kind of looked at me and was like, don't understand any of that. I was like, okay. Um, and I can almost, uh, I can like see the look now. Mm. You know, when they've got that kind of like glazed over look and I'm like, okay, I'm not making any sense now. I'm like, yeah, I mean, my, my fiance Liz, she, she struggles a little bit with like maths related stuff sometimes. A bit like, and, and I will like tr try to explain something to her and it doesn't work. And the, 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 you know, it frustrates her and yeah. it frustrates me that she hasn't understood. And so we both end up like frustrated and actually yeah. we both have to fight it. Yeah. <sighs> Well, no, not quite. <laughs> but, but I have to, like, I have to have the mass, sort of, you fucker! <laughs> I have to have the courage to stop and say, and, like, think and go, okay, I'm not explaining this well enough, yeah. like, I'm not doing this in the right way. And have to stop and think and then, like, find another way of kind of, like, showing her this idea. Yeah. And she's a very, uh, she's a much more visual thinker than I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you've got the three... You know, like main ways of learning isn't it? it's visual auditory and um, kinesthetic kinesthetic yeah and I think really uh, that most people learn best um, by like doing you know most learning is an active thing I think but then um, we often need either sort of visual stimulus or auditory stimulus uh, to help us know kind of what it is we have to do yeah yeah uh, and I think um, I mean, each person often is kind of really different uh, with different things. Like, um, if you say, uh, we're learning music, uh, there's some people here yeah, that don't really have a good ear. They have to learn it from a page, but, uh, but then maybe like if they were learning something else, you know, would learn it better, like for auditory Definitely, skills. it changes. Yeah. And I think that's the, the danger as well with that kind of yeah. approach. I'm more auditory the... with my porn consumption. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the danger with that approach is that you, you then say, oh, this person is a visual learner. Yeah, exactly. And then you neglect the other two, and that, yeah. that's really damaging. Yeah. One thing as well is, is I was um, like, sort of in, in the NLP thing, is sort of like the expressions we use. So someone who is in that moment of thinking visually yeah. will say things like, look at it this way. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Picture this. Yeah. Whereas someone who's like in that moment in auditory, thinking in an auditory way will say, Oh, listen to this. I like the sound of that. Yeah. 
you know, uh, does that resonate with you? They'll that use kind of auditory, yeah. and then someone who's kinesthetic will do like more kinesthetic phrases. Yeah. Um, like sign language. Yeah, and as well, like even to the extent people like will use more like gastro kind of ol- an, ol- an olfactory yeah. kind of. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of ignore that, but someone might sort of. I'm gonna have to look out for that actually. Yeah. It's it's yeah. really and and what you what you can do is when you're like a student or someone you're talking to is using visual phrases if you use visual phrases too yeah like subconsciously that there's a there's, you know that they pick up on that yeah and then you it actually helps with the building of rapport yeah. and the building of the relationship and so like when they're using auditory phrases you use auditory fa- phrases and so you kind of like don't mirror each other's thinking hmm? no, you don't try and fight them down yeah so your auditory visual yeah, look no, at it from my point of view. There's a, there's an, listen to what I'm yeah. saying. No, look at it. <laughs> but as an educator, yeah. you want to like, yeah. yeah, and and it's quite an incredible. It's quite yeah, an incredible I've never thing. Really thought about that yet, but actually, yeah, I can really imagine that that happens a lot. Yeah, and I used I to. What f- I say? I mean, again, like what I was saying at the beginning, with with uh, recording yourself, like I think it would be really beneficial. I mean, obviously, like I don't record myself teaching you know, because you know there's you know, sort of like child protection and stuff, but I mean, maybe some of my own private students might just ask like if they wouldn't mind if I just sort of, sort of um, recorded a few um, snippets just to see if, uh, you know, kind of what my approach is. Yeah. yeah, but just like, you know, you just keep, listen to the students and if they're speaking a certain way, just try it. And also I've noticed as well, like, body, like their body language sometimes changes as well. Like someone who's like a little bit closed off, when they're using these expressions and you start to use those expressions, their body language might become a bit more open yeah. as their kind of like state of mind changes yeah. t- towards you. Yeah, because I've always kind of liked those little things people add, add to sentences anyway. Like yeah. I love when they say, um, when they say stuff like, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> or, yeah, that um, usually means don't correct yeah, me if I'm yeah, wrong, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, not necessarily my opinion. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, like, have you thought about it this way? I mean, that's a classic sort of passive-aggressive one, anyway, isn't it? I think, yeah. I, yeah, yeah I, I think um, it, it's quite easy for those those expressions to, to come across as quite passive-aggressive. Yeah, because I guess, really, like, it's just shit we say, isn't it? Like, it doesn't actually have to mean that, that you're trying to kind of, I don't know, commandeer, like, a conversation. I mean, I'm sure there are some, sometimes we do, but there's so many things, again, like, you know, that just part of our like speech patterns. I'll yeah. tell you what was really interesting, it was when I was living with a um, French guy, Cedric, um, and I can't remember if it was like a hypothetical thing, or if I actually um, said it to him, but he was asking like, why we say in English, can you do us a favour? You know, we don't say like, can you help me? And I thought that was really interesting that, that he was saying that um, within language and within cultures, like it's really kind of indicative of a lot of things and actually I think um, British people are essentially you know it's almost anything sort of um, well we're not like uh, the sole focus of attention you know like, like do us a favour will you you know rather than like please can you help me yeah I think please can you help me is a lot more a, a sort of like humble like yeah. humiliating phrase to yeah. say yeah. than can you do us a favour there's yeah. definitely a, a sort of difference because I mean and the power as well I think as well like if you're saying can you help me 
the other the person you're asking is the person who's in the powerful position yeah. whereas when you're saying can you do us a favor i don't know it feel maybe maybe it's just me but it feels a little bit more author, authoritative so maybe like it's the opposite you know yeah. maybe yeah i was thinking it was us being kind of like scared to have the emphasis on us but maybe uh we want to be yeah. in the power thing and that's what's always kind of like struck me it's like weird with um, Brits first is you know, when you ask people kind of what's indicative of of Britishness, most people will say things like queuing. You know, so actually sort of like the real kind of heart of British people would be like, after you, Britain last. You know what I mean? Like, after you, mate. Which proves that they're not real Brits. Yeah. I'm sorry that I think you were a British guy once. Do you remember that? I don't remember it. Uh, it was on Facebook. I think it was on. Oh, about being British. Yeah. Not Brit, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's an amazing one. I think, um, I think, I think like, yeah, it's true. It's like, it's weird as well. There's so much at the moment about like national identity is so like central to, to maybe politics at the moment. Yeah. And like, I mean, even walking down my parents' road, there was someone with a Union Jack flying. And I don't, I don't know why. Like, I don't, you know, last time I, I feel like last time I saw the Union Jack flying outside of someone's house was maybe the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something, and so to see a, a Union Jack flying now it is it's unusual. Yeah. And and I think like that that kind of sense of, of national identity. I mean, what are we? We drink tea. We like to queue. Like queue there are letters, aren't they? Q T. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> C. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Surrounded by C. Um, yeah, and it's it's tutting. Tutting. Like tutting quite a lot, don't we? I like yeah. tutting. I'm saying I've, you're welcome. Like, do you ever do that? When you hold oh, the door open for someone? Don't say thank, thank you. you. And you go, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. That's, well, that's the passive-aggressive. Maybe we are very passive-aggressive. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw a meme like, the other day that was um, how to tell if you're British. And it was, um, you know, one of these kind of like diagrams that's all like yes, no. Mm. And um, one of the things was, you know, if you have a problem with somebody, like, do you... Um, uh, do you like confront them about it and um, talk about your feelings? You know, like and then you know, the girl said yes. It was like you are definitely not British. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw one that um, really, really made me laugh. One of my favourite um, of these kind of like British memes. It's like, how do British people shower? Just like you, you idiot. We get nice and wet, and then we get the tea bags. Laugh <laughs> yeah. ourselves up. Though I don't drink tea, so. Yeah, I'm like a failed uh, Brit. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like a real failed Brit. Um, uh, we went over to Northern Ireland um, last summer. I was amazed at how many like, Union Jacks and uh, British flags there are. And it's so weird that like, you just kind of like drive down the streets and all of the houses have them out. Well, national, I suppose national identity yeah. is so central yeah. to like the Union and, yeah. and separatist kind of. Because it's weird, that, um, and I guess it's like proof you know, that everything is like a balance and there's kind of like dichotomies everywhere. Because um, it is strange that um, it's almost anathema now to say that you're, I don't know, kind of British or sort of glad to be or proud to be. And I think kind of uh, that is a problem because I'm, I'm not particularly like proud to be British. You know, like it just, you know, it's a matter, it's a matter of some coincidence I happen to be born here you know like it could have been yeah well you know but I don't think it's a problem if people are kind of happy 
of being British and it's weird that you know like it always gets associated with kind of you know sort of fascism or like xenophobia like it doesn't have to be does it no and like I think actually the moments that have made me most proud to be British have been when you know when they did the refugees welcome yeah kind of that that movement like when the people were like oh there's all these refugee welcome kind of like they weren't really protests but like marches of support and then like different organisations were saying like we, we will hire refugees we will support refugees and that was a moment I felt like I feel like that's actually really central to, to Britishness because yeah. um, when you think about like um, in World War 2 lots of Jewish children like came to Britain from countries that were under threat of Nazi occupation yeah. and we welcomed the refugees and it was like and it's that 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 proud to be British and, and Mo Farah, like, you know, this is a he was a refugee. He fled you know, his family fled Somalia and yeah. he came to Britain. You obviously got there first. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> they, they fled pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've you know, the way that Britain has has embraced and welcomed Mo Farah is you know, like it's beautiful, oh, yeah, and it makes me proud to be British that we we can treasure and honour a man whose name is Mohammed. Yeah, um, and I actually think just like Mo Farah's Britishness is a bit of a, like a middle finger to all these kind of racists. That was the weird thing about like with uh, the ban in America, like the fact that he would have been affected by that. Well, yeah, and that you know, I mean, like just goes to show you just just how like short-sighted it was. Even, you know, even if you were a fan of that, and I'm not saying that I was, but, you know, we're just kind of, I suppose you were, like, um, when you then, like, take into consideration, like, who it included, like, you must go, oh, actually, yeah, fuck it, that was a little bit of a silly idea we had there. Yeah, like, there were were doctors and, you know, all sorts of of people who who were, like, then not able to to travel and what have you, and... Yeah, it's just a bit of a strange, a yeah. strange one, that. because yeah, I remember reading about, uh, and this was probably, I don't know, like 10 years ago, um, and they had those, like, no-fly lists. Um, and actually, if you had the same name as somebody on the no-fly list, like, the system couldn't, like, differentiate, kind of, uh, between people with the same name. So there were people that had absolutely nothing to do with terrorism, like that weren't allowed to fly. Yeah, and when you consider like yeah. the prevalence of certain names yeah. in, in like Muslim or Islamic culture, yeah. like yeah. it's you know there's a good chance that you could have the same name yeah, as yeah, someone. In the, in the I mean, I'm just kind of really glad you know the ex England cricket captain Michael Ford wasn't on the you list. Know, <laughs> wind, you know, he sort of wind his neck in a bit, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. isn't that how they're causing shit? Yeah, yeah, oh god, the trouble that could cause. Although all those text messages you've had, who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should send him... I might try and get him banned from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, it's, it's a very bizarre situation. I mean, like, I find that whole travel ban thing quite weird because, like, in a sense, if you're at war with a country, it does make sense that you would not fly people from that country yeah. into your country. But America is not at war with those countries. It is at war with an ideology that certain people in that country adhere to. Yeah. And I think it also highlights how weird it is in this modern age that we are at war with anybody. Because everything is kind of so connected and with sort of like social media and stuff. Yeah. Like it's so weird that 
we're having kind of war with people that we're almost like so familiar with. Like, well, like you know what I mean? Jihadi John was yeah. like a sort of yeah, exactly. celebrity. Yeah, he was. I think he's going to be in the next edition of Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, amazing, yeah. Tier 22, Jihadi John has beheaded someone over the cornflakes. Or something like that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's my milk! Yeah. No, it's, well, I was going to say, like, it'd always be worth watching, but, you know, there have to be, like, really awful other celebrities. For, yeah, like yeah. Piers Morgan, and yeah, Katie Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, okay, can you imagine? I think it would do sort of like Morgan if they all like got on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had sort of a Jihadi John, you know, and like Piers Morgan. And I think Jihadis. I think Jihadi John and Piers Morgan are more alike than people would like to admit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the thing. Like, if you're on the extremes of anything, like I think if you're either over here or over here. Like, it's almost like the same mindset and the same ideology, like, in, you know, I think there should be, like, more people in the middle that go, okay, well, I can see, you know, like, a bit of this, a bit of that, you know, I'm essentially over here, but this whole sort of thing of, you know, being either kind of extremely right or extremely left or... Well, yeah, it's like these extreme Muslims, they're, like, and I use that term because, like, they're not Muslims, really, like, they don't adhere to... The teachings of Muhammad, they don't adhere to kind of like Islamic teachings, but it's one of the things that the Dalai Lama said, wasn't it? He said they're not, yeah, you should stop using Muslim. But these extremists, you know, they're like, oh, death to the infidel, kind of like the you want to see the destruction of Western culture, yeah. but then you've got these sort of extremists, uh, like right wing movements who are like, yeah, like, like death to the infidel, we yeah, want to yeah. see the, the end of, of, of Islamic culture, and it's like. Yeah. That's the same. Yeah, I know. Um, and actually, I mean, I don't know what your own views on him is. Like, he's a really kind of like divisive character. But have you heard of that guy Milo? Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah, I've kind of caught wind of that a little yeah. bit. So I don't know a huge amount. Like, what I find is interesting about him is every now and again he will sort of like make a point that you know you sort of start thinking, okay, well, like I can see what, he, what he's like trying to do and he's almost trying to kind of tackle some of uh, the PC um, culture and um, trying to make it, you know, so like people can you know, still have things like free speech. And then he'll just say something completely like batshit or like hugely offensive. And you sort of think to yourself, oh, fuck, you know, um, why did they have to go that far? Like, if, uh, I mean, he recently, uh, I think he was fine because said something on a podcast where I think he was either molested or something like when he was 13 and he was trying to say that you know like it it was okay or something oh he was yeah. he, did he say something about like one day it might be acceptable yeah so yeah it was something the know. way that like homosexuality was illegal not that long ago yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah I've heard people say that similar sort of thing before and it's just you know uh, I mean like with a lot of these people like you say they'll often you know, will shoot themselves. You know, will like shoot themselves in the foot, you know, metaphorically. Or I guess if you're in ISIS, maybe, maybe literally. Yeah. I think the thing is with like this 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 freedom of speech versus political correctness kind of concept. I think it's really deeply flawed because I think like political correctness isn't about limiting speech. Political correctness is about protecting people from. The damage, the damage the yeah. speech can have on them. 
Yeah. And yeah, like sometimes it's clumsy, and sometimes it, it, it kind of like this concept of political correctness. It it says that you know it says oh you shouldn't you know it gets very restrictive and, yeah. and people don't like that. But at the same time, like it's it you got on the other end like freedom of speech. Like I don't think it's okay for someone to stand up there and spout racism, homophobia, yeah. like sexism or whatever. Like, I don't think it's okay. I mean, I'm sort of weird with that where... Because I feel like they've got the freedom to speak. Like, yeah. why don't I have the freedom to to shut them up? Like, to, to shut yeah. them up? Like, you can't... I mean, I think your freedom never, ever trumps someone else's freedom. Ever. Yeah, but I suppose then our freedom to then take offence might then trump exactly. the freedom It's the such a person. messy... Yeah, so... But that's There's always not... going to be this sort of contradiction, you know. But I mean, I think I'm of the mind um, that everything should be open to kind of, you know, to free debate. And I think a lot of people, again, sort of like taking Milo like as an example. I mean, I've actually watched some of his kind of university like campus things, and at the end, he actually um, throws it open yet yeah, to people that have like a different opinion of him. Like, and he often kind of like get gets upset yet. Yeah. Because uh, often, like uh, the people who are at his meetings, like are people who agree with him. Yeah. And I think you know he kind of quite likes um, debating it. And I think Ooh. really, like if we were sort of, you know, because I'm on, I'm almost of the mind where, um, and I know like it's it's sort of becoming like an increasingly unpopular viewpoint. But just people can just say whatever they want, you know. And then if you're offended by it, you have a right to kind to of challenge. Like, walk away. Or we have a right to challenge it, yeah, but in a civilized manner. But isn't, and not be like, yeah. But isn't that? I think that's the problem with this whole freedom of speech kind of like mentality. What if we turn on a light? Won't, it, well, if it won't affect your driving. It's up to you. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I don't. Imagine it would be really dark. Um, I kind of feel like that freedom of speech is is often like it uses a defence. Like, but actually, like, if someone says something and I don't agree with it, like, I think, you know, free, people use this freedom of speech argument to avoid challenges. Yeah. So when I, so if someone says something, they say, like, something or, or that I don't agree with, like, yeah, you know, they have the right to speak, speak up, but they can't then use that when people go, oh, I don't think this is appropriate, I don't think you should, like, I don't agree with that. You can't then go, well, I've got the right to say what I want. Like, because yeah. I think that's the problem, is freedom of speech is constantly being used as, like, a defence. Yeah, it's like a carte blanche thing, okay, well, I can yeah. say whatever, though, you know. But no, but you can say whatever you want, but, like, you have to be prepared to enter into a, into a debate. Yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, somebody... And, and, then, and often it's used as a way of avoiding debate. Yeah. Yeah, because it was on Facebook. Uh, somebody, like, posted a quote, I think, um, from, I think it was a philosophy um, teacher, right? And it basically said, uh, um, something like, you don't have an automatic right just to have an opinion. Um, your opinion... Um, comes with the need to be able to back it up. Yeah. You know, which I think is kind of really interesting. And it's, you know, it's so true here because everybody, at, and on Facebook, like, is, you know, it's sort of exacerbated this. Everyone's like a part-time philosopher now, have you noticed? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Over everything. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I think it's kind of brought with it like a lot of, like, hubris, you know, where everybody thinks, okay, well, this is my opinion. Like, can you hear people say that? 
And as you said, like if you then challenge it, it's like, well, it's my opinion and I'm entitled to it. And like you have to uh, be open and you have to be like malleable. Mm. There should be a debate, not just kind of yeah. mods and rockers going, fuck you, I like denim, no, I like leather. Yeah. You know, which often, you know, like it's basically, you know, it's that, but just about kind of say right and left. Yeah, and like, yeah. like challenge each other and like, and, and like Make try and change one. And that's the thing is like, as well, like the problem, like you say with social media, is like often I feel like social media is like shouting into like a room and yeah. just hearing your own voice back. Yeah. And actually like... And we need those likes as yeah. well. You know, that, that oh, um, validation. Yeah. And there are some people here yeah, that I think sometimes post like a political opinion because they know that their kind of group is going to like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Well, yeah, it's like... It's like disingenuous maybe. I feel like we're not as prepared as we are to have spirited lively, well-thought-out debate with people who disagree with us. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons, I mean, again, um, why I kind of wanted to start, like, doing a podcast thing. And I think, um, you know, I think eventually it would be really cool yeah, to have to have some people that, that have totally, like, different views. Invite the local skinheads on. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That'd be amazing. You know, and I'm see if I can turn one of them. You know, let's see if we can make out, like, by the end. It's like when I used to have the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door. Yeah. Like, you know what? Like, yeah, I'll have a conversation with you. Yeah, I know, you. exactly. Like, I'm inter- like let's let's have yeah. a lively, lively, yeah. rational, well-thought-out debate. Like, I had a couple of couple of um, little old ladies here that used to sort of, like, come round to my house all the time. Um, and I just, you know, like, they were so cute. Like, I didn't see them as some um, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I would just invite them in. And any time it sort of got round to kind of, you know, to sort of talking about um, what's called Watchtower or anything. You yeah. Know, I, like, I would just kind of like steer, steer the conversation away. And I'd make them kind of cups of tea and stuff. And then one day, yeah, they kind of brought around like uh, the heavy hitter. Because obviously I don't know, kind of uh, the local, you know, sort of main guy. And he sort of came around like, any time I sort of tried, you know, like he was kind of so up for like a debate. So in the end, you know, I sort of, I wouldn't say like took him on. Uh, because I don't really like debating in a way. And I think kind of what I mean by that is often it's um, it's often to do with ego, and it's the most yeah whoever's got the most ego wins the debate yeah yeah you know like it's not actually kind of about sort of the points you're making like and often it'll almost be you know like who's got the best sort of one liner or something you know I mean like I really like watching other Christopher Hitchens ones you know but I mean like often um, it's just sort of two egos battling out isn't yeah. it you know? and actually I'd almost rather just sort of have a conversation with people where we could openly um, talk about it, and it's not me trying to kind of win. Um, yeah, so anyway, like, uh, this guy, you know, was definitely, you know, I was like trying to win. And uh, we had kind of like an interesting um, conversation, like, and in the end, I, w- I was still trying to talk and he wanted to leave. <laughs> it's amazing, and I was going, yeah, there's one more thing. And he was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have this kind of thing with like, when like, when, when you kick her out on the street, for example, yeah. like if you keep her like out of leafleting your high street, I genuinely think someone, like, phone up all your all your sort of lefty friends yeah and be like let's right let's go down the high street and like you know, take one each and have a spirited debate with them each yeah see how because as long as you're talking to them they're not talking to the people they can sway yeah they're not winning votes no. because they're just like wasting their time talking to you and i genuinely believe that's how that's one way of fighting these kind of people is to like oh like oh you keep a pamphleting high use their energy, yeah. let's all go down and let's get conversations going with them so that they're not talking to people who might vote for them yeah who might be persuaded and like you know give them enough 
give them enough for them to genuinely believe they're getting somewhere with you. Oh, because yeah. that's what I did. I bumped into, like, when I was living in Devon, like, there was some on the street one day, and I wasn't really doing anything. I had nowhere to be. And I just ended up talking to one of them for about an hour and a half. But, like, whilst he was talking to me, he was completely wasting his time, really, in terms of getting votes. I mean, he spent his, yeah. his whole time talking to me what and getting nowhere. Many, um, you know, like, conversions, um, these people get, like if it, you know, like if it's a small amount, you know, like if it's a big amount, because I'll be honest with you, uh, like, and I kind of don't want this to sound harsh, okay, but I almost really worry about somebody who could have their mind swayed on the street, because like, you know, I wouldn't even buy like these microphones for instance, you know, like I wouldn't even buy one of them like until I read shitload of reviews on them. <laughs> Well, yeah. You know, and that's something that is almost, you know, it's like inconsequential, isn't it? Right. So I would choose my whole kind of political ideology with someone on the street said, you know, have you ever thought about? I'm like, yeah. You know, yeah. You know what I am. Yeah. I think the thing is, though, is is to be honest with you, and this is going to sound um, quite harsh. Yeah. But like, I think morons. I, no, I think what like you you care and and to a, a lesser extent like religious groups as well that, that do do sort of street work. And like what they're doing is they're, they're preying on the vulnerable, they're looking for the vulnerable people yeah. who can, like that sense of, who, who is, you know, are desperate for a sense of inclusion, who are desperate for a sense of identity and belonging. Yeah. And actually, when you see like the, the Mormons sort of, for example, like they're on the street and they are, they are looking for people who they can persuade. Yeah, exactly. You know, they are looking Have for vulnerable people. Have you got self-respect? People. Yeah, okay, well, I'll see you later, sorry. Yeah, yeah. it's like, sorry to and, and actually this is the thing, it's like, and, and sort of like the cultish element as well of, of like organizations like, like the, the, like cultish, the Mormons. Cultish, Cultish, oh, yeah, sorry. like they're a cult. <laughs> it's like, you know. Of course there's something else. I mean, you know, some of them are. Uh, well, <laughs> and they're like, you know, they are looking, that's how cults recruit. Cults yeah. recruit people who are vulnerable, and then they seek to sort of like over a process brainwash them. Yeah. And so, and I know people who have been in cults. I know like cult survivors, whether that's like a religious cult, but also I know people who were involved in like skinhead gangs in the past. Yeah. And and it was they were like basically over a period of time, they were vulnerable. They were they were yeah. sort of like sucked in, and they were like gradually brainwashed. Because I guess it's a part of everybody. Like we yeah. have this deep need to like feel connected. Yeah. And if you don't feel connected, you are going to go with the first group mm. that shows you some interest. Especially like people with like mental health, um, mental yeah. health problems or learning difficulties and stuff. These are people who are prime targets for. Maybe we should do a kind of like love group or something. You know, they just sort of go around to people and go, look, you know, we love you. You can hang out with us. You don't have to like, agree to anything. Yeah. You know. Like, I will just really like you guys. This would be a really good beginning if you wanted to start a cult. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would go to our heads. That's another thing though, with human nature, isn't it? Like, I mean, even if you were somebody who's like um, really self-aware and kind of really switched on, you know, I think if you started to have like hundred thousand people sort of telling you like you were the bee's knees, yeah, you know. Um, would it go to your head? Like, would you start believing? Well, it's like the guy who the em, the last em, emperor of Ethiopia, um, Hal, Halle Celeste. 
Yeah. Is that his name? Like, you know, the, the Rastafarians believed that yeah. he was... I thought that was a machine. He was the Messiah. No, the Mary, Mary Celeste. Celeste. And they believed that, that he was the Messiah. Yeah. But, like, he was, like, the, the, head, start of, believing the head of state. Well, no one knows. Because, yeah. basically, he, he did a state visit to Jamaica. Yeah. Um, which was, like, obviously, like, the sort of biggest Rastafarian nation in the world. And he, he did a state visit to Jamaica, and he had, like, interviews and, and stuff. People were saying to him, like, well, you know, what do you think? Are you the Messiah? But he had, like, he would he would not answer. Sounds like the life of Brian. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he would, he would not answer, point. because, like, I think... I think maybe he wasn't totally sure, like... Yeah, but also could like, be. Yeah, like, yeah. He, he never really answered that question, and that's kind of what's quite yeah. interesting about the whole thing. But yeah, like, like you know, these hundreds of thousands of people believe the Messiah. thing with um, religion, um, and if I ever did any stand-up, like, I would use this, is, um, you know, like, how do we know you that all of those Bible stories, like, are just not misunderstood sarcasm? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... With Mary and Joseph, you know, when they go to the, you know, the inn, you know, and the innkeeper goes, "Is she with the child?" That makes she's a virgin. <laughs> you know, is that water? That makes wine. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's something in there. You know, maybe it all is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Just imagine finding that out there, like he was a real prankster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like just a, a really sarcastic, yeah, a, a really sarcastic bloke. It was just like, are you, are you dying? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm coming back to life yeah. for three days, mate. What, what's wrong yeah. with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cured this blind fella the other day. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's vision. Top notch. Oh, he's not blind anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be an interesting twist, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd almost love to find something like that out. Maybe that's what the Da Vinci Code really is. Is this, uh, is this the right way? I'm sure anybody yeah, watching this, is, you know, probably found had loads of flaws in my driving. <laughs> You're in the wrong lane. Yes, you got to tell me about China. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, um, China was amazing. I had a really great time. Um, it, it was strange. So I was in, living in Beijing. It's the largest city by area in the world. Yeah. Obviously, it's, it's very full of people. So going from living in Holbury <laughs> yeah, or like imagine. market towns in South Devon to yeah. going and living. It's the difference between throwing a bullet and shooting one, isn't it? Well, like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was quite intense a lot of the time. I said to people it was like being trapped in a lift for two and a half years. Yeah, so I'm not be, sure that there's I also handle sort of that. 23 and a half million Chinese people in that lift with you. Yeah, because like you said earlier on, you know, I was saying that I can't handle handle cues on um, Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I'd have loved China. I mean, like I there's think no I'd queuing. proper. There's no queuing. Um, it's just pushing. Yes, you maybe. Maybe that's more me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I found it quite difficult. But then I'm but I got into like, it. I got, I quite, yeah. I got to the stage where I started to quite really enjoy giving people a good shove. Yeah. Um, it's like you know why I, I am getting like, on this uh, subway. The dichotomy, like about me though, is I, you know, as I'm too British to push, you know, so I'm not British well, enough to queue. I always I'm too British. To push. I've got a little bit I'm of Ger- I've got a little bit of German in me, and yeah. I always say that the Germans in my elbows because yeah. I've got German elbows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and they're perfectly happy to kind of. Yeah, to, yeah. to give it a shove, but taking them down really efficiently as well. Yeah, some efficient yeah. elbowing. Yeah, no I mean, energy wasted. I tell you, I, I went. I wanted to go to like a, a big decathlon store that's like in one of the suburbs of Beijing, and um, 
had to do a subway change and I got off like my normal my normal line to get onto this other line. I'd been warned that this line I was getting onto was a busy line. Yeah. And I stood there on the platform and I watched as one of the subway cars like turned up and literally people shut like I've never seen anything like it. Just like crammed into the subway carriage. Yeah. But there were more people on the platform than could fit in the subway, but you know, everyone gave it a good go. Yeah. And I kind of just took one look at it and was like, you know what, I'm going home. I don't, I don't like really need to go to the on that badly. Yeah, well they just push people in, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is would, like, it's brutal. That would really like scare me, I think. Um, it is quite scary. Yeah. Like I just, tr I mean, I, like, I was lucky in that the areas I was traveling in most of the time were not like, not that bad. Yeah. But like this was the one time I'd been warned this line is incredibly busy, and yeah. I, I got there to the, the transfer, and I was like, nah, you know, I'm not doing this. Yeah. This is this is As not a my Westerner, cup of tea. Right? Is it um, is it like we would perceive China to be, or is it like totally different? You know, say um, um, you know, sort of animal rights. You know, like you're often seen as really bad and kind of human rights and those kind of things or is well, it actually much better than that in terms i mean like the, like so people will talk about the dog eating but the, the dog eating is really really being like done away with yeah like in the the cosmopolitan cities people don't eat dog anymore you can't just go and buy dog yeah like i think in some of the rural communities it still happens but it's kind of gradually like they yeah. are trying to get rid of it they are, i mean it's weird though okay because i mean um, with that festival they have, uh, well, that doesn't apparently that doesn't happen anymore. Okay, cool. So, it's, um, but I mean, what I find weird, and I kind of don't want to be like preachy like about this, right? But obviously, like being a vegetarian, mm. okay, I I find it weird that people have a problem with say people eating dogs, um, but they don't have a problem like with people eating like pigs and cows. Like it's a weird line in the sand I just draw for me. And yeah, I, think I can either understand got outrage, that. You know, because we're killing animals and eating them, or you're okay with it. Like it seems a really weird like hierarchy that we have. It's like, yeah, we find that one cute, so he's okay. You know, like those ones aren't so cute. Mm. Fuck them. Yeah, it, and it's a weird like. And also, respect. like China, like this is a country that in like you know, 50 years ago there was like one of the worst famines of the 20th century. Like, yeah. like was was in in China, like. You know, people would eat anything, and like you know, some people, they remember that. Yeah. And it was terrible. Like, actually, have you heard? Okay, that um, people's like genetic makeup apparently can sort of remember things like that. Uh, and I was reading a study, um, and I think it was uh, citing, I think um, it was Native Americans, and how. Um, there's like an epidemic now with things like diabetes and obesity amongst like Native Americans, and they um, this person was saying like it's because of the fact that um, when they were well, not young, you know, like in the past, sort of because like food was scarce and it was more um, something that they had to work for, that you know that actually you know sort of now it's kind. Of, kind of readily available they just overindulge like so much and that makes sense as well in terms of China yeah. because like when people in, in restaurants they order like way too much food way more food than they're yeah. ever gonna eat so maybe yeah, there's some weird sort of like genetic well, kind of like memory if that's true that's absolutely incredible like yeah yeah I mean it would make so much sense I think one thing that um, 
like, and you're, you're saying about human rights as well. Like, I think that's something that, that I, I mean, my genuine opinion of it is like, okay, yeah, like in China, you need like your identification on you at all times. And a Chinese national might be asked for their ID. And like, yeah. and like a police officer could just come and say, say like, ID please. And, in, and they can do it to Westerners as well. Like we needed like our visa documents and our passport on us at all times. Yeah. And this little piece of paper, which was like, oh, we were to show we were registered with our local police station. Yeah. And as a non-national, you had to go register with your local police station. It's almost like being a sex offender. <laughs> yeah. Just, being just a tourist. Being white. Yeah. And like, but also like, and, and you know, like there were things like, um, I'm trying to ask, like, you, but you know, like, it wasn't that long ago when they were talking about these kind of things here. Yeah. You know, like, they wanted to bring out mandatory identification cards that people would have to carry on them all, on them all the time. Yeah. And they wanted to, like, you know, there, there is talk, again, like, recently about foreigners having to register, people not born in, in Britain, to just to, they had to, like, register, like, you know, their address through their workplace, and their, through yeah. their school, didn't they? That was, like, last year. Yeah. And so I kind of, I don't, and this sounds really, I don't think there's anything that the government do to people in China that our government wouldn't do to us if they could. Yeah. I mean, you can't criticise the government in public. Like, if you're you're bad mouthing the Chinese government in a bar or something. Yeah. Like, you know, someone might overhear and report. report so I do on remember it. sending you like a Facebook message, that sort of jokingly like said something about like the government, and I thought <laughs> I was like, shit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. <that's fine. laughs> but like. Um, like actually, you know, like Theresa May when she was Home Secretary, there was talk of stopping people from talking about the government in a bad way in public. Yeah. So actually, I don't think that anything they do to their people is worse than what our government would do to us if they could. If they thought they could get away with it. Yeah. And the fact is, like, what I'm has made me really grateful for is that we've got these um, structures in place that that have stopped national identity cards that have stopped Theresa May's gagging yeah. law that have stopped um, kind of like the foreigners registration that like you know like as much as I don't agree with an undemocratic unelected house of lords like the lords have repeatedly I was going to say yeah they've actually like done that. some great stuff you know yeah and it's weird yeah because I remember even you know what sort of like five or so um, years ago loads loads of Facebook things you know people saying yeah you know, we shouldn't have uh, the house of lords mm. well, you we, know. we should have an, a, a democratically elected yeah. second house in my opinion yeah. Yeah. based on but, based on proportional representation from yeah. the same election or something um, but, but they have kind of like saved our ass quite a lot haven't they and, and so like I don't it's, it's sort of human rights isn't bad in like a day to day way but as much as there are like human rights abuses in China it's nothing our government wouldn't do to us if they could. Yeah, yeah. Um, somebody was saying to me that oh, there's little parks where the people sort of take down now their birds and they kind of hang them up and they all like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sounds really cool, yeah, because obviously uh, I always assumed that they were really cruel to animals, but actually, I mean, that sounds pretty. Yeah, I mean, like, as well, like, people have a different relationship with animals, and dog ownership as pets is on the rise. So lots of people have, like, little dogs in, in Beijing, and they're often, like, mongrels, like, you know, from all sorts of different breeds, and very ugly dogs, generally. But, like, they dress, they, they put them, they put clothes on them, 
Let me kind of go, oh, that's really weird. That's Actually, dress them up. It's like, well, she's ugly, but she's got some nice clothes. Yeah. Yeah. The Beijing's really cold in the winter. Yeah. And actually putting kind of like a silly little t-shirt on a dog is probably like a nice thing to do. Yeah. You know, and they, 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 there are dog shoes, and I have no idea if, if dog shoes is painful and cruel or like whether it's actually protecting the dog's feet from the frozen yeah. ground or what the situation yeah. there is. But like, Can you imagine like if dogs evolved like almost in the same way that we have, you know, where they get kind of so used to clothes and shoes. You know the dogs. You know, like it's cruel, like uh, to not do that. To not have dogs. Yeah. yeah okay. Can you imagine? Yeah. That'd be quite, quite yeah. crazy. Yeah. So like, he's outside without his shoes on. <laughs> yeah. Crazy dog. Someone called the RSPCA. So like, more and more people have pets now, um, and like, yeah, like lots of sort of generally old men have like a pet bird, but it's not like a parrot or a cockatoo. It's like a sparrow. Yeah. And it's like in a little cage, but yeah, then they take the bird like out to the park, and like yeah, they hang them in trees, and sort of they might be sat there playing like chess, Chinese chess. chess with their mates, yeah. and then there's their birds are sat next to them, yes, that's cool, singing, and it, yeah. you know like it, it's you a, to get a bird. <laughs> um, no, not really. Didn't really didn't really cross my mind. Did do it for you? Crickets as well. People have little pet crickets in these little wooden little round wooden cages about this big yeah. that's like sort of a tennis ball um, that seems more crazy because it's lucky so they carry their little wooden cage yeah. around with them I guess it's lucky for everyone except the cricket yeah it's not so lucky for the cricket um, maybe that's kind of like pet ownership full stop it's very strange um, so like yeah there is this kind of different relationship with animals that's kind of like shifting as well and like yeah more and more people have pet dogs and cats and yeah birds and crickets and like that's kind of like more the blending of cultures really yeah it's an interesting I'm like there's some very Chinese stuff but also like you know like we were eating a lot of street food and like very Chinese food obviously like going out and eating Chinese food a lot yeah. but in terms of if you don't like Chinese food you could still like eat yeah well in Beijing because like you know there's there's sort of like Apparently, there's more KFCs in Beijing than in the entire United States of America. Yeah, which is mental, isn't it? And like, you know, there's like. Do um, they have like McDonald's and stuff there? Yeah, as well? they've got McDonald's. McDonald's delivers in Beijing. Yeah. And they've got. Is like, it still a Big Mac or is it? Yeah. You know, one of those egg. Um, one of those half fertilized eggs. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. You can't get the uh, the century old eggs in McDonald's. I don't think. You have that with a Happy Meal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like instead of the the fruit sticks, yeah. you get a half. Yeah. Half fertilized embryo, yeah. Um, but like you know, lots of Mexican restaurants. You know, there's even like a British restaurant we went to occasionally when we were feeling a yeah. bit homesick. And like, did they kind of get it right? Like, or is it like a foreigner's view of like pretty this? good bangers and mash? Okay. I have to say, pretty good bangers and mash. Yeah. Um, very good lasagna as well. You can't get really cool. more British than a lasagna, right. can you? Um. Well, yeah. Or. Uh, that in itself is weird, I suppose, because like, it's Italian originally, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, do they have like Vindaloo in yeah. the English restaurant? Um, that's another kind of like batshit crazy thing about people where that are like xenophobic. You know, like is they'll, you know, just moan about, I don't know, like, you know, Indian people or something, you know, but then they'll, oh, they'll go, go for, and have a Vindaloo. Go curry, yeah. It's just, you know, I mean, like, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I think like British culture has been so shaped by other 
other cultures. Well, I guess that, yeah, you know, that's the whole thing is kind of, you know, we are saying earlier on sort of like, what is uh, Britishness? Like in a lot of that, yeah. you know, it's a melting pot of loads of other um, different cultures, isn't it? Well, yeah, and like, as well, like, I know that after World War II, like, it was people coming over from the West Indies because we needed, like, manpower. Yeah. Like, and then that was kind of like an influx. Then, like in the 70s, there was a need in the service industry, so people coming over from India and Pakistan to kind of like work in the service industry. And like, so to, and then obviously there was like a, a sort of like a trade, um, uh, 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 skilled skilled labour shortage, sort of like in the last decade that yeah. saw people come over from like Poland, especially. And it's like, actually like people, and even like a few years ago, they were talking about we need more nurses and there's loads of nurses coming over from Spain. Yeah. And it's the way that people from other countries have come and like benefited us in an economic sense, but then we've like adopted elements of their culture. Yeah. I don't know how much of Polish culture has really been integrated into Britain, but I mean, it's sort of such a gradual process. I'll tell you something as well, like it's great about the Polish, is that without them, like we wouldn't be, I'm going to the um, gig tonight. Like I said, I won, like I lost the M tickets, and that Polish fella. Oh yeah, yeah. So keep you know, I'm sort of eternally I'm grateful for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like keep them in if just for that. Yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine he jokes about how, um, like, he's a comedian, English comedian, and he jokes about how, like, well, it was the the Vikings coming over here and like um, pillaging. Um, our sort of like our coastal towns, and it, it probably made us all a lot better looking. <laughs> kind of all that sort of Viking yeah. DNA coursing through our veins has probably been a good a good yeah. sort of genetic influence in terms of uh, how aesthetically pleasing British people are. But I guess it's you know it's helped us. We both yeah. got sort of like red in our yeah, hair, so yeah. okay, does that mean we have like Celtic ancestry? I don't That's really what I heard like, like I, well, I suppose it, like red. It must. I know like like Saxon as well yeah like root it can be saxon it can be like nordic it can be celtic but you know like it, it, it can also be a spontaneous mutation yeah someone can just be ginger for absolutely no reason yeah or it could it's, also be that we don't have a soul it could be yeah could be i know like as well like apparently every single person in the world who has blue eyes is basically like genetically relate like descended superior. from superior <laughs> genetically descended from this like one bloke who lived by the RLC like thousands of years ago okay well I like him he was like the first blue eyed eyes. guy and he's I, my favourite I guess all the all the women digged it and yeah he got about a bit and now there's all blue eyed people everywhere yeah I mean I think I got his blue eyes you know that was it that was it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he had all the fun the bastard but you know that's a good thing I suppose yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad he was a philanderer yeah yeah because uh, I mean I'm not going to talk about it like too much actually because obviously you know hopefully people like are going out to listen to this like and I think it's quite a um, you know it's a real sort of controversial thing in it you know it's a bone of contention and I advise people like to look it up you know for themselves but certain um, cultures um, have a much higher, high degree of inbreeding. Um, 
and it's to do, you know, with people kind of marrying and having children over first cousins. Yeah. And there's a whole thing, I think, is out in Israel where they're... Um, where the rabbis will do like tests uh, to make sure well, that they're not from the same. A friend of mine's Icelandic, and yeah. you can get a phone app that, like, if you like hook up with someone, you kind of like scan each other's phone. It just checks that you're not too yeah. closely related for you. It'll like alert you if you're cousins. Yeah. So obviously, it's a country yeah. with such a small population. Yeah. Although, sort of imagine, you know, like, are those people finding out kind of are they not related? Going actually, well, I'm out. It happened in yeah. China actually. I was reading. We are not my cousin. Oh, uh, I'm yeah. not interested then. <laughs> it happened in China a few years ago. I was reading a thing that was about, like, because obviously lots of second child children were were adopted yeah. and abandoned and went to orphanages. And um, this guy and this woman, they got together and they'd been seeing each other and they decided to get married. And then when they went through the legal process to get married, it turned out they were brother and sister. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's scary, like, scary, isn't it? Yeah. And, but like, I, was, I mean, I love my brother, but there's limits. <laughs> <laughs> but like, actually, like, you know, everyone's got, biologically, everyone's got two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents. Yeah. And actually, you only have to go back, like, 500 years or so, and you've got, there would, that number is bigger than there were people on the planet at the time. Yeah. So there's got to be a certain amount of, in, like, quite a significant amount of inbreeding, really, yeah, in that short space I mean, of time. I wonder, kind of, like, how far back it goes. Because even, isn't it, like, um, Queen Victoria uh, wasn't Prince Albert was her cousin. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. he, he was his a, first cousin. Was it? I don't know if they were first cousin, but they were. Yeah, they were cousins. Uh, and then, like, isn't the Queen and Prince Prince Philip aren't they like? Yeah, well, I've also read. But all the royal families of Europe are yeah, like absolutely because there's some um, related now. And I think you know it's kind of thirteen levels are removed or something. But actually, Prince William and is it Kate Middleton? Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah, like, um, I mean, they are some um, form of relation, but I think it's very, like, distant. It's like George Osborne, you know? George Osborne is, like, the Queen's yeah. seventh cousin or eighth cousin or something. Because yeah. he's the heir to a, ba- a barony. Yeah. And he's, like, so obviously, like, all these barons are all interconnected to the kind of aristocracy as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's bizarre, that whole, that whole thing. But, yeah, I know, like, certain cultures, obviously, were more isolated. And like China as well. China was so isolated for so long to the outside world, and the idea of a Chinese person like having children with a foreigner, like a non-Chinese person, was like unheard of. Yeah. And like even like now, some families like are so resistant to it. I mean, I've got friends who who you know like are with Chinese women or are with Chinese men. And like you know, there can be a certain amount of friction and yeah. and what have you. Like even even now, some, it takes it takes acceptance. Yeah, there's some Muslim communities that are like that, isn't there? Like there's yeah. that whole thing. I think it was in Turkey with these kind of honor killings. You know, where there were some people that were oh gosh, yeah. like Westerners and stuff. Um, yeah, so the whole thing's a minefield. Yeah. Well, isn't it like just masturbate and you're fine? I can't remember one futuristic novel I read was like this idea that that actually there'll come a stage stage where all the cultures will have like intermingled to such an extent that we're all the same. Yeah. Like we're all, the the book, I can't remember whether it said we were, that everyone was gray because it wanted to not be any existing color. Yeah. Like, so they just said that everyone was gray. But like this idea that like eventually everyone- Like John Major from Spitting Image, like do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually everyone will just be, 
mixed race. Yeah. Because like the, those cultural walls yeah. will come down and, and like I mean, the, the, the crossover. Thing. I don't know whether that's the case thousands of years of time. Yeah. Who knows? But I mean, what's weird about all of it, okay, um, is it honestly like wouldn't bother me at all. And I have this kind of like weird, weird view of it all where I do just see this thing where it's sort of driving around. It's this strange like flesh suit. Uh, that we didn't take any responsibility for it coming into existence. You know, our parents, we didn't choose them. You know, we didn't sort of choose our genes. We didn't choose where we were born. And it seems so like strange that we get so kind of caught, caught up like on what's on the outside. And actually kind of to some degree, I even feel this a bit like our agenda. I think really like if we were more focused on, you know, kind of like this is what I was born into, you know, it's all right. Um, but actually who I am is not kind of identified purely by what is on the outside. And yeah. actually I'm something more than that. Um, and I think we almost get um, so caught up. And I actually think in um, some respects it's like getting worse. And I'm not saying, you know, that um, sort of gender identity and stuff isn't real. But like I almost wish that we spent more time not kind of being defined by the flesh suit. Yeah, not dwelling on it. No. Well, I just think like it's it's this idea that everything's fluid and like the, the gender, sexuality, identity are perhaps not a fixed concept that we are like stuck with for our entire lives and that, you know, we change. Like there's that saying, isn't it? You, you can't step into the same river twice. Yeah. And absolutely. I think the same is probably true of people. Yeah. Like we are constantly, constantly changing. Constantly in a flux. I'm just... Yeah so different in so many ways to who I was sort of like 10 years ago. But you've got to worry about people who haven't changed because like, okay, well, what, what about life haven't you like, got almost, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you think about it, um, yeah, we should be constantly evolving, you know, like you um, find out new things, you meet new people. Um, hopefully, you're always kind of like pushing yourself and that's what's great with you, um, you know, do, doing uh, the stand-up and the same as me with sort of gigs and stuff you know it's something that like you're always on the edge of what's comfortable yeah you know like trying a new song trying a new like, joke um oh they're constantly pushing yeah. your own like comfort zone yeah. like yeah i mean like i could i could get up and, and do stand-up and i could do like i think what's i'm in a really nice place at the moment a challenging place because i've just come back from doing comedy for like yeah. two years in china although you're just saying oh you liked my mum's car yeah. I'm a lovely place right now. Lovely place. Yeah. I, I really like kind of like, because I'm at a stage where the jokes I've been doing for two years, I don't know what works and I'm, I'm like exploring what works, but also I'm, I'm like forced to write new material to replace yeah. stuff that I, I have to drop. Like I found like Brexit material, for example, like I was having a great time doing Brexit jokes in China. And yeah. I guess it was because everyone was like removed from it. Yeah. That to be able to turn around and like be like, oh, here's a Brexit joke. And everyone be like, yeah. ha 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 ha. It's not affecting us, we're thousands of yeah. miles away. Or ha ha ha, I'm not even British or whatever. Yeah. But what I'm finding like, actually like, I did some Brexit material at Talking Heads the other week. Yeah. And it was just like, eh. And it was uh, like, yeah. whatever people's opinions are, wherever they stand on that it kind of like bit, issue, yeah. I think everyone's just a little bit sensitive about it. Yeah, definitely. And actually like, people don't want to hear Brexit jokes. And even Trump jokes, Trump jokes are, are sort of, they're just not funny anymore, are they? Like, no. it, it, when he well, was, when he was the candidate, was it was say, funny. Yeah. Because now it's real, isn't it? It's like, oh well, shit, yeah, we're stuck with it. I think the most fun I had with a Trump, with a sort of a Trump joke, was when I did these jokes, um, and it was uh, 
if it was like just after the election and we've been doing a few like Trump jokes beforehand like it was funny but when you see he won it was like oh so I did these jokes and they were like jokes as if Clinton had won the election it was like yeah. oh these are jokes from an alternative universe and they were kind of like because I mean obviously Clinton is not Hillary Clinton is not the sort of um she's not a paragon of virtue is she exactly she's not the angel that she's been able to be like and it was also yeah. um which I know is like a side issue Know, but it was ridiculous that it was kind of made like a feminist issue in a way. Oh, I'm with her, wasn't it? Hashtag yeah. I'm with her, yeah. And it's like, um, I was having a conversation with somebody like, and they were kind of like almost trying to sort of insinuate that like if you weren't behind her, you were somehow sexist or something. Yeah. And I was thinking it's got nothing to do with that. You know, and I, um, when there was a part of me was thinking if she wins, it's almost like a kick in the guts because kind of what you'd want is you'd want a really amazing, admirable woman to have won. Well, yeah. And like, and then you could have said, you know, like this was a real victory. Well, it's like with, with Britain as well. We've had two female prime ministers and both of them have been like figures who, who yeah. have, have caused a lot of sort of devastation in people's lives. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, it's sad. Yeah. And um, they've done kind of nothing like for, for feminism and equality, no. because of well, the fact that was sort of ardently, I'm not a feminist, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah. Like, and they're those real, you know, bitchy kind of iron lady things, and everybody, yeah. you know, when you sort of have this conversation, like, and they say, you know, I don't know, like, if a woman's a strong woman, she's a bitch, you know, like, or if a guy's this, but you know, um, I love maybe controversial, women. but sort of like Thatcher was a bitch. Yeah, you know, no, I don't, um, I've got no argument. Stop yeah, controversial, yeah. mate. That's, and I think sort of like, yeah. you know, uh, that may is in the same camp so yeah and there are some phenomenal female politicians absolutely about, like I, I who's that the scottish lady that's always killing nicola sturgeon yeah or do you mean mahara black the sort of uh, young i think i think the young blonde sort uh, of 21 scottish. year old whatever her name is yeah well, yeah both nicola sturgeon and mahara black are scottish yeah but like um i forgot what i was saying yes yeah, oh about like the the, the jokes so i did these jokes about like and, and that went really well. It's kind of like, oh, let's pretend Hillary Clinton won the election for a minute and make, make fun of that. Yeah. And that was quite a fun thing. But like here, like, so it's that, that kind of like creating new material and it's a really nice and trying stuff out. Yeah. And, you know, I can go for a phase where I'll do, like, I'll get a sort of a set that feels very safe. And it can be my, you know, I get a set of go-to jokes. I can like, yeah. okay, these work. I'm comfortable doing these. I can almost do them in my sleep now. Is it really different, like how the comedy here and in China? Like, have you had to like change things, or is it um, I, fairly similar? I think, I, I think when I went to China, I felt like, oh my goodness, this is really different, because it was like an international audience, and like I was doing a lot of sort of like very cynical British political jokes. Yeah. But then Were I you like learned to, to I sort of make a joke about like the regime or something. Well, you can't. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember so there was a Jimmy Carr joke, right? That, you know, I mean, like if anyone's kind of like made it this far um, you know, into, into the podcast, you know, this is an offensive joke. It's not one of mine. It, it was um, Jimmy Carr's. Uh, and it was when he was doing, uh, it was like greetings cards and kind of things that you could write on them. Uh, and on one of them, like the, um, on the front, it was, um, congratulations, it's a girl. And then inside he wrote, he wrote, better luck next time, love from the Chinese. <laughs> well, I did this thing and it, it was um, pictures of Beijing with yeah. Game of Thrones quotes 
yeah. And one of them was this pregnant woman, a Chinese woman, and it was like, what if I only have girls? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, so like, I, I think when I went out there, I had to learn to change my style and my content and like, it was a real learning curve but it was a great experience like meeting kind of people from all around the world and like like seeing like the American sense I've never been a big fan of American comedy but I learned to appreciate it and understand it a lot more and see the sort of intricacies of it that yeah. I perhaps not, not really paid attention to so much before. Was it easier as well like as a performer to be somehow sort of like removed like from the people there and the culture? Yeah, I, I think like mo- the audience is mostly expats. There are a certain amount of Chinese people that come to shows. Yeah. But I think as well like I was able to use the I'm British as like a vehicle. Yeah. So like it was it was it made that the whole process easier because everything could come back to I'm British and that in itself is quite funny to a lot of people (laughs) so like but and coming back, I'm realising... You should realizing, have done that sort of John Cleese thing, you know, where you kind of went on stage, you know, with a handkerchief. Yeah, I should have tied, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, coming back, I've realised that, actually, a lot of the stuff I've learned there is, like, completely, I can apply. And even, like, jokes that I, I've, tr- I've just done here for the sake of it, yeah. and they've gone really well. And I'm like, oh, I never thought that would translate back to Britain. Um, and I've been surprised. Yeah. But there is, there is a difference. I guess it's good scene. to sort of, you know, you haven't made, like, jokes about those, like... Half, half fertilized eggs. You know when you're having one of your half fertilized eggs. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, like one thing that actually like audiences in like from all, like these sort of all around the world, international audiences in shows in Beijing, and they come up to you afterwards and sort of slap you about. Oh, I really like that. That was really good. And everyone's like, you know, the, the language people are using, like people are enjoying it, and people are telling you they enjoy it. I keep having, and I had this a little bit before I went, but like the other week I was at, um, at the Talking Heads and someone made this comment, and I get this a lot, it's the, oh, you're, you're sort of, your joke, your comedy is very smart. I don't yeah. think everyone understood it. Oh, I, I understood it, but I don't think everyone understood it. And actually, like, no one ever said that to me in China. Yeah. Like, these international audiences, like Chinese people, Americans, Australians, like work people from all around the world. No one ever came up to me and was sort of like, oh, your jokes are, are really smart. Like almost like a, you're a bit too smart for this crowd. No one would say that. Yeah. And no one would kind of like be like, oh, no, no like, you know, I got it. But I, I think there were a lot of people who didn't understand. Exactly. People I just sort of go, I got it, but yeah. It, it's, I and so like, it was, it's really strange. I don't I'm intelligent, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of these pricks. Excuse me. But whereas like, I haven't really, like I, I suppose you know there would be nights and there'd be jokes I tell and like not everyone laughs and that's fine like not everyone likes it yeah. not everyone likes all types of humour and, and, and I, I, that's great that's kind of the joy yeah. of comedy there's like something for everyone you know, like some like it some like it some don't some don't that's why there's so many different styles there's so many <laughs> yeah. different tastes yeah um, so many different positions <laughs> but like um and I'm not joining in with your sex jokes because my mum's probably going to listen to this. So. Okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry, John's mum. Um, so what like, are you doing later? No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so like um, the what was I saying? <laughs> so like, I feel like I wasn't as divisive in China. Yeah. Like no, okay, not everyone would laugh, but there wasn't this kind of like, oh, I got it. You know, people didn't necessarily walk away feeling. Yeah like that their intelligence had been rewarded by a smart joke I told. Yeah, yeah. People just sort of seemed to I mean, enjoy for what it was a bit more, which was really nice. Yeah. I don't know. 
Because uh, there's some of the places yeah, that we've like played, obviously some of the open mic nights, mm. right? Now, I've even found this like when I've done certain songs that aren't say like crowd pleasers, you know. Um, some of the kind of environs that we've done open mic nights probably don't get some stuff, do they? You know, yeah. like, it could be quite like a challenging audience um, for, you know, because I guess in a way, yeah, there's probably like a parallel, um, you know, with comedy and with music, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, where if you want everyone on side, you just do, you do Wonderwall or like a tell a knob gag or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and then when you're trying to do something, you know, like a bit more creative or artistic, like either you have to kind of ease people into that um, or just kind of like do your thing and accept maybe like other people aren't gonna. Yeah, I think I've, like, I believe in like in audience feedback, like so like listen, like as you're performing, yeah. kind of like making sure you're keeping, like, you're listening to the audience responses. I guess but, that's like, where we like started actually, wasn't it? About Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think y you, you have to decide like where you're lying. Like, I mean, some people will like it, some people don't. As long as some people enjoy it, I'm quite happy. Yeah. What I don't want to do is I don't want to do, I don't want to stop doing the comedy that I love, yeah. the stuff that I find funny. You're just glad like, there's smart people in the audience. It's not even, I don't, yeah. it, it sounds, I feel like that's a really patronizing kind of like sense of like, oh, I do, I do comedy for smart people because like, I don't think, I think some of my jokes are like obscure and niche. Yeah. And some of them are like, oh, well, you know, this, this is a joke that requires you to know this Latin phrase or something. Yeah. But like, I but don't. I think another thing as well um, is, I think that it's almost, an indicator of actually whether people are paying attention and listening. Mm. Um, and I think some of the open mic nights are not really kind of like geared towards no. that and like geared towards come like, and I remember once uh, when I did an open mic night in the Soul Cellar, um, you know, and I'm open to the fact like it could be other, just wasn't like a good joke I did, right? But um, there was a joke that a girl had done uh, that I thought yeah, was really funny, like, and I've been listening to her and I think she was a nurse and she was doing some um, stand-up comedy, okay? And then it was sort of like a rhetorical um, question about sort of men and thinking was, okay? And so I went on like to do my song, and, you know, like, and I answered uh, the question and it was almost like a pin drop and I realised like, that no one had really like paid attention to her. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, sort of again, uh, with songs, like if you're like playing something that people like don't know, um, in certain environments, people like are just not taking it in. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that that you know that desire for familiarity. Yeah, um, and that's quite hard. Like sometimes with comedy, because you know it's original material. Because yeah, I guess yeah, you don't really have like covers comedy, do you? No, I'm I was sure talking about like, like I was talking about this. Like there aren't comedy tribute acts, or if there are, I haven't seen them. Like there aren't yeah. cover com comedians. In fact, it's kind of like. You steal a joke, it's kind of like a cardinal sin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I feel like. I mean, that would be amazing. It would sort of rip off everyone else's jokes. Well, I told you. It's a tribute it's a, act. It's a tribute act, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone was saying uh, that I should do. Um, who was it? Uh, a Tim Minchin stroke, stroke Tom York tribute act. <laughs> yeah. You know, call it Tom Minchin. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sort of Radiohead song that's done. Or no. Um, 
or, or you do like a Tim Minchin song. You do like a Tim Minchin song, yeah. and then you'd be like Being a, a radio really head depressing Radiohead song. Like, like oh, okay. Canvas bags, or something, you know, sort of like really depressed <laughs> version of it. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> but like, yeah, so like niche. But I think the thing is, is when someone does something that is your niche. Yeah. You love it, don't you? Like, if there's something you're really interested in or you're yeah. really passionate about, and then someone does a joke about that, you are like, you are, you are well into that. And so I've, I did some jokes about like chemistry, or into jokes about astrophysics a while ago, and it was all about this concept of from like I'm from this place no one's heard of, like Holbury, like yeah. in China, no one's heard of Holbury. And so like, I'm constantly, people are like, where are you from? Like, I have to use broader and broader terms yeah. until eventually I'm like, oh, I'm in the Gould Belt. I mean, the, the Laniaica supercluster, kind of like bigger yeah. and bigger. And the punchline is that the person always then turns around and goes, oh, is that near London? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I live in London. So I remember once going out like, with a German girl, okay? And I swear to God, that we had this, had this sort of conversation like, uh, I had a gig and I think it was in Kent, uh, and like, she was going to get the um, train there. And then um, it was half an hour kind of, kind of before the gig, I got a phone call from her and she said, I can't find it. She goes, I've looked up on the A to Z and I can't find it anywhere. You know, and I was like, well, there are places outside of outside London. Outside of London. Ken, Ken is outside of London. She was like, oh, okay, you know, and it just hadn't sort of dawned on her yet that the, it wasn't in London. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just like, yeah, so kind of like was doing this kind of joke. So it was like, because it was using astrophysics terms, it was talking about like the local bubble and the Gould yeah. Belt and stuff. But people who are into physics, astrophysics, their ears then prick up. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Or if you're doing a joke that's kind of like... Um, Anything of this niche, I think you always... Yeah. You know, like, yeah, as you say, you know, like if you understand the in-joke, yeah. it's fucking amazing. I mean, yeah, I remember, you like, feel seen, so validated. Yeah, have you seen like uh, the Hitler ones, uh, the downfall? Ones, you know, where like Hitler's losing it, like, and people have kind of like oh, their own subtitles. The subtitles. I love there was them. one about Morbid Angel, okay, and it was so niche, it was unbelievable. And so, uh, because I got it, like, yeah, um, you know, he was going like anyone that doesn't have autism madness on on double gatefold vinyl, leave now. <laughs> it's just you know, such a niche joke, that, uh, yeah. There was one um, of like when a Firefly getting cancelled. Yeah. That was kind of like one of my favourite ones because yeah, 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 yeah. I love Firefly. Yeah. It was so like, it was so niche. But like, like I did one joke and it was like, it, it was like three or four different languages, and so it was a joke that used like a phrase in like French, German, Latin, and, and I did a Chinese version as well. Like, so like the idea was you'd get like pockets. They'd be like, oh, a handful of people who who understood the French phrase get this joke. A handful of people yeah. under. So basically, like, it would do that like four times for like French, German, German, Latin, and Chinese, and then sort of be able to go like, oh, like if we if we do this for long enough, I will get round to everybody eventually. Yeah. And that was always quite fun, like, and also like, you know, and you've got one person at the back falling off their chair, and everybody else in silence. Yeah. It is quite fun. Yeah, Kind absolutely. of like a fun Imagine moment. Imagine it's addictive, yeah, because then you're having a moment like with that person, yeah. aren't you? Which is great. You know, that actually kind of... It's not really commercially realize. viable, no, but it's no. fun. But it's one of those things I think is kind of, I mean, you've made me realise that even though it can be hard in the moment, really, you just got to do your thing and just hope it sticks. Yeah. You know, because if you actually start to sort of bastardise it and think, oh, well, actually, like, I won't play this song yet because I know that, you know, like, or I won't tell um, this joke yet because sort of I know that certain people won't um, get it or something, you know. I mean, there's limits to that, I suppose, but at the same time, like, you just have to do 
uh, what's in your heart and what you think is right, don't you? Well, that's kind of why I started. I mean, like, we're going to see Stuart Lee tonight, and yeah. actually, like, I, I, I mean, I've never been that into comedy. I yeah. really liked Bill. I always really liked Bill Bailey. I loved like, the musical yeah, yeah, kind of like jokes. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like the, the songs I really like and the stuff. Billy Bragg one. Yeah, like, I love yeah, the fish yeah. and chip the shop. Chip I love that. Your fashion is I learned that on the ukulele actually. Oh man, ages like, ago. you have to do that like at open mic night. I will, maybe I'll, I'll join in as well with you. I haven't got a ukulele. I left my mind a cheapy crappy one. And I'll buy you one. I'll get me a ukulele and I'll do that. I'll do fish and chips. I'll bloody buy you one. I can't really play and sing at the same time, so you'll have to help me. Okay, I'll play. Sing. All right, we'll do it. Yeah. We'll do it the next open mic. Yeah. Um, but like, I was never that into comedy, and just by chance, I stumbled across a load of Stuart Lee videos on YouTube. Yeah. And I was like, it, it was just so my sense of humour. Yeah, definitely. I was just like sat there, with, like my headphones in, like, on the laptop, like howling yeah. with laughter. I really love how the UKIP one though with Paul Nuttles. Yeah. Of the UKIPs. That is amazing. And those beaker people oh, coming over here. Teaching us not to drink with our hands. Yeah, I love that. Well, like, yeah, like... Um, Again, it's quite, like, niche, I suppose, isn't remember, it? Um, remember, not all UKIP fans are racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, we... Like, I watched it, and then I like to see people like Andy Zaltzman and Josie Long. And like again, like I was just howling with laughter. They were so funny, but it was so unlike any of like the sort of like Saturday night BBC One comedy I'd seen. Like people like yeah. Michael McIntyre, who, as much as he he's good at what he does, what he does doesn't make me laugh in yeah. the same way that. that I, mean, I guess it's quite like safe, isn't it? Yeah, and it's yeah. yeah. And so like I, in fact, somebody once said to me, which I think is a bit harsh. They said. Uh, He's the comedian that people that aren't into comedy. Like. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I think that's a fairly like. Yeah. He's a variety, like a variety act comedian, yeah. a cabaret yeah. comedian. But he's obviously mega rich doing it, and yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, well, he does it well as long yeah. as he pays his taxes. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I watched these like these these particular people, Stuart Lee, Andy Zaltzman, and Josie Long, and I thought, oh, this is this is hilarious. This is I love this. And so I was just like, I want to do that. I want to do comedy like that. And I'd been doing like performance poetry and like doing little jokes in between. Yeah. And like I was like I'd, I'd written like silly little things. And I was like, oh, actually, no, I really want to. And so it was because of that I was like, I gave comedy a go, and got more into comedy and I found more and more like these sort of like alternative comedians. Yeah. Um, for want of a better phrase, really. And then like started to see the like, other amateur comedians and sort of like like touring professionals and stuff and started to like think oh it and it was so it came out of wanting to do a particular type of comedy yeah and do like the kind of comedy i love and it's like that with music as well like i think i kind of i i was in a couple of bands but nothing really i was in a couple of bands when i was a kid and they were pretty rubbish but like the last band I was sort of in I got we, we only had a few practices before like the band broke up but I didn't really enjoy it it just yeah. wasn't the kind of music I liked like I just it was just like a bit meh I was just yeah. playing bass and kind of go, go, going through the motions a little bit yeah, and then um, like I just wanted to I, I, I actually think I might have taken a long turn somewhere I, I don't know, I don't know Brighton at all. I'm just going to pull off here. Because what I'm going to have to do is, I think in my bag I've got like uh, the sat nav that we like, pull over somewhere. Uh, can you like, reach into my bag? Where is it? Yeah. Here's where everyone sees like how inept I am. 
approach is putting Brighton for, put for Brighton now. Dome. Actually, if we can see what street it is, so I'll put it on maps quickly. Um, this is the best bit. Stay tuned for more. Yeah, for more. Getting shit, lost with my. For more shit driving and. Uh, here we go, like being on one UE. Look it up. I really, I don't even know how to wear these things. That's <laughs> right. If I put it here, then hopefully it'll be out of the way. Please drive to highlighted route. <laughs> Brilliant. Have that in HD. <laughs> the highlighted road. Right, so according to this, we're actually not that far away. We're only like 10 minutes away. Or Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. We'll, um... I'm actually glad, like, people can... People can see this has not been rehearsed. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about yeah. that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know. <laughs> right, I, I've completely forgot what we were talking about. Talk about something else for 10 minutes. Uh, comedy in, in China. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the very talented people from all around the world getting together, like, from all walks of life. And also, I made some really great friends, like, some really lovely people. Yeah. Um, and, like, I had, like, because I'm getting married next year, and uh, my fiancé... Player? Player. My fiancé proposed to me in, um, in China, so, yeah. like, we got engaged out there. That's cool my, as well. You know, sort of, you know, like taking down the um, stereotypes. I wonder if I can turn this down. What about the... Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be brilliant. <laughs> we got a third, you know... A third character. We got a third guest. Um, so, so like... Take first <laughs> we, um... The police are ahead of us as well, aren't they? You know, they're going to pull us over and go, what are you doing, you bellends? <laughs> We had like a, um, a Beijing leg of my bachelor party. Yeah. Um, that my friends out there, like, they were like all guys I'd met through comedy. Yeah. Um, wanted to throw me and they were dressed up. They all put ginger beard, like fake ginger <laughs> beards and ginger wigs on. Yeah. Continue um, miles, then <laughs> And like, it was really great. I'd only known these people a couple of years, but they soon became like very close friends that like, you know, we talked we talked about comedy, but we it didn't felt just talk about like comedy. It totally taking the piss out of your well, appearance. And, and we did it before I left. Like when people leave, they do like a roast. Amazing. When people leave, so they, we did this roast night for me, like a couple of weeks before I left. Amazing. And just kind of like brutally ripped uh, ripped the shit out of me. To be honest with you, like give me some examples. So um, I need real world examples. My my friend Scott said that the first time he saw me. I was wearing the kind of jumper that made me look like the kind of person you would buy speed off of in a pub toilet. As <laughs> a guy who said that I look like someone. On who... that score, have you got any? No, afraid not. As a guy who said um, I look like uh, someone you might buy a used PlayStation 2 from. <laughs> uh, I look like Robert Baratheon on Hunger Strike. <laughs> um, lots of like. Oh, someone said that um, you know how there were those t-shirts that said this is what a feminist looks like yeah i should get a t-shirt that says this is what a feminist looks like <laughs> and like all these kind yeah. of like, like quite brutal jokes um about uh, me and liz and because liz is like a feminist and i'm like a, a hippie he said it was like this great love story like when ha harry met sally but it was when hairy legs met smelly <laughs> and like these kind of like oh, yeah. I, I filmed it, it was, and like, uh, one of my like really close friends out there he like read out a poem about how we're like unlikely friends yeah um 
that was kind of like really sweet but very funny as well and like it was a really nice like I love I'm quite self-deprecating in my comedy anyway I like make lots of jokes yeah. about myself um, because like I don't want to make victims of, of other people yeah I think I sort of do that a lot actually yeah most of my humour I think you know is like self-deprecating yeah in fact kind of the other day um uh did you see on Facebook like uh, the joke that I like put about um uh, the really hot girl at the gym, you know, the kind of like, oh, yeah. you know. I mean it was a true you know, it's a true thing. Like I've kind of noticed her a few times there and you know we've often often um, smiled at each other like and I just kind of looked up and she was there kind of kind of um, smiling at me and it was one of these moments out of some kind of film or something you know, where everything that could have gone wrong like went wrong in that moment, you know, I dropped it, I bent down like I had to pick up the bar and then like uh, my bag fell off my shoulders and all this. Um, you know, but I mean it was funny and I got kind of like a couple of messages out from people you know, saying, so don't be so hard on yourself. But, but like, yeah. yeah, you know, like it's clearly a joke. But it, I'm yeah, okay. it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and I think like, actually like, to do self-deprecating humour from a good place yeah. is really like a nice thing to be able to do. Yeah. Because like there was once upon a time where I wouldn't have been able to do that. Like I didn't have the confidence. Like, especially as like a teenager or whatever, I wouldn't have had the confidence to sort of like take the take the piss out of myself in that way. Yeah, because I think that I used to, um, but almost to kind of combat. So yeah, you know, like it would stop other people kind of sort sort of like being able to do it. Mm. So I would get in there first, and I think kind of at first it was a defense mechanism. Whereas now, you know, I just find it funny. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've said like you know, if somebody um, zings me, like I. I do find it hilarious. Um, I mean, I remember again, yeah, when I worked at the um, secondary school, like, and this kid said to me, "Guess you're so far in the closet, sir. You're in Narnia." <laughs> Which I thought was an amazing insult. It is brilliant. Uh, but it's like I like that like, with the roasts and stuff. A lot of them were like, you know, I was like, I was like wiping tears of laughter away. I was in absolute hysterics. Um, like some of them were, were were brilliant and like, like the feminist. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like we. Like one of them was like um, talking about how like, I like cricket, and they were saying, "Oh, like cricket is you know it's long, you know it's boring. Not everyone understands it. Oh wait, that's just like that's his comedy um, <laughs> and like, his intercourse. Yeah, his intercourse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, sorry, Mrs. Matthew. <laughs> so like, um, it, it's kind of like it, it's a lot of fun. Like that kind of like those yeah. kind of zings and stuff. Like. I yeah. do like that. Were there any that you thought, all right? Um, no, not about me. Because I watched some of those American ones and they're fucking harsh. I mean, uh, you know, and again, I should probably sort of prefix this uh, with an apology. Um, well, there was the one of Rob Lowe. Like, do you know who he is? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, the 80s. Um, yeah. Uh, and he's in like Wayne's World and stuff. Okay, well, um, he was done, wasn't he? Because like he had sex with an underage girl. Like I think he made a sex tape, and he thought she was eighteen, no, but she was only sixteen. Okay. Um, and then he sort of managed, you know, to kind of claw back his career, and he's still, you know, he's still working now. And then um, the host, I can't. Uh, what's the host name? Like David Spade. He he was the sort of MC for the night, and he said, but of course Rob Lowe is the comeback kid. Oh no, sorry. That should read, he's come on the back of a kid. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> and it's just like, bloody hell, that's, I mean, that's brutal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I think, but I think, like, actually, like, 
those kind of things are really funny because it's like, yeah, this is offensive, but I've given you permission to laugh at this offensive yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I mean, I, and like, so often when I get up on stage, like, I do often start with jokes about my appearance. Yeah. Like, jokes about like, obviously having a beard or having long hair or kind of like whatever, because it, it's kind of like saying, you know, I'm, I'm telling people it's okay to laugh at me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this a is. A license to bully. Yeah, it's kind of Go like. Go ahead. Yeah, like get involved. Um, <laughs> get, get involved. Like it, it's a kind of, um, and also, but I think it also sets sets the standard. It's saying like, I am the victim of my own comedy. Like you know, like you know, people make jokes about like you know disabled people, and I don't think that's that's nice, no. to be honest with you. And like there was a guy who came to China who was a Canadian comedian, who um, like he was on a like world tour or whatever, and he did like a Beijing leg. And he, but he was like, he got in a lot of trouble for making a joke about a, a disabled, a disabled child, yeah. um, in Canada. And he was taken like to court over it and had to like pay compensation. And stuff. Because um, Canada is somewhere where now kind of like free speech. And again, you know, we sort of go back here to kind of sh should people have the right and stuff. But actually, uh, there's loads of things now that you can actually get into serious trouble with for saying. I, I, I would say in Ch Canada's a country. It's not about free speech. It's not that there's restrictions on free speech. I would say there's restrictions on hate speech. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, he, they were deemed that what he was saying was hateful. Yeah. And that this child deserved protection. Yeah. From from the hateful words. Yeah, because it's hard to kind of argue against that, really. Yeah. So yeah. like, and um, like I don't want I don't want to do comedy that is like hateful and like where the victim is vulnerable people so like that's why I do a lot of political jokes because the victim of political jokes are powerful people and like yeah. if you're like I mean Gary Barlow like, I, I will do jokes about Gary Barlow because like I don't I really don't like him I think that when you do charity work but you avoid tax you're you're a fraud yeah like it's like David Beckham as well I feel like really uh, able to lamb, like lambast him like if I wanted to because he um you know, he, all this stuff about like him not getting a knighthood, yeah. but he didn't get a knighthood because Plus he's you know a tax he avoider. Yeah. Like, and actually, Plus you know like, that he wouldn't understand it anyway, so well, it's yeah. okay. It's fine. Yeah. Who cares what, so I don't like care to. what charity work you do. If you're a tax avoider, it don't, it don't make a difference. Like, so I think making jokes about powerful people is like, is okay because they're, all, they're powerful people. Making jokes yeah. about the powerless, that's not nice. You're punching down and yeah, it's exactly, almost like yeah. an act of cowardness. Yeah. Like picking on picking on the little kids, like that's not a brave, strong thing to do. No. That's a, the actions of a weak person. Yeah. But like as Hence well, why like, I'm I'm still a bully in the schoolyard. <laughs> no. So I'm I'm, I make um I make jokes about myself because I'm saying that like I, I, it's like saying this is not going to be comedy that makes makes jokes about weak people. Yeah. Like. Um, uh, about not about weak, about vulnerable people. Yeah. I don't want to use the word weak, but this isn't. This isn't mock, this isn't isn't mock the weak. Yeah, Because yeah. um, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, because I guess everyone has like a different line, don't they? Mm. Um, yeah. So I mean, kind of, it'd be interesting to know kind of where your line would be. So, well, in terms of what I'd laugh at, or or what I would make do. a joke about. Yeah. So say like with Gary Barlow, like how far would you go with him? But like. I would, I mean, I have, I have made jokes of the fact that, like, maybe there wouldn't be so many children in need if Gary Barlow paid his taxes, like, when he was on children yeah. in need. Like, I would make fun of the fact that this, this sort of, like, yeah. duplicity of doing, like, 
high-profile charity work but not paying tax. Yeah, because also it was I weird. wouldn't turn around and be like, oh, Gary Barlow's. I don't know if it turned out if he got like it was in a horrible accident and lost the use. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because what was weird about that is um, Jimmy Carl, like he got slated for it, didn't he? Mm. Okay. But Gary Barlow kind of like almost got. He was all right, yeah. wasn't he? He was like, yeah, oh, no, well. cared. National treasure. No, is it almost disabled? Is it like loading only? Loading only. I reckon we can park it. I reckon, I reckon it says loading only. If it's a certain point of the day, I reckon. Okay. Um, so I think that like, but if you know, if he if he lost the use of his legs, the only way I'd ever make a joke about that would be in light of he's a tax avoider. I would never make a joke in yeah. light of his losses. The punchline would be... We wouldn't have a leg to stand on, would he, to be honest? Hey. The punchline would be, <laughs> he's a tax avoider. The punchline wouldn't be, he's lost the use of his legs. Yeah. We've literally parked on the flag. I know, exactly. On the sat nav. That's, That's kind of why I thought it would be like a satisfying. good... Satisfying. <laughs> a good place to park. And also, like, uh, the, other, the other good thing is, like, if you get a ticket, you know, it's my mum's car, so... Who cares? <laughs> exactly, she can pay it. <laughs> I'm only kidding, mum. Obviously, I'll, I'll pay it. Should we, we should check though. Oh, right. should we, uh, we should probably wrap it up, should we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're gonna we're gonna go watch Stuart Lee. Cool player, player. <laughs> um, thanks for listening and or watching. Have Thank you. Got you. Any last words? No, no. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. <laughs>